We're going to be learning in Chidush Rabbi Nuchayim HaLevi, the only peace in Hilchos Avos HaTumos. This is Perak Gimel Halacha Aleph. And the issue that Rabbi Chaim is discussing has to do with the Halacha of Nivlas Of Tahor, which means a Nivela is an animal that was improperly slaughtered. So it's not kosher. So both an animal or a bird that's improperly slaughtered is called a Nivela. And in both cases, they transfer Tuma to a person. But a Nivela of an animal transfers Tuma in the normal way. If someone touches it or carries it, so they become tame. Whereas the nevela of a bird has an unusual halacha that if someone touches or carries it, they do not become tame. Only through eating it does it transfer toma. So this is an unusual feature of nivlas of tahor that it only transfers toma through eating, not through touching. So the issue Rab Chaim is going to address, and other commentators discuss this as well, is when someone eats nivlas of tahor and becomes tame, is that a variation on a form of of tuma. So instead of tuma coming through touching, it comes through the eating, but that's a form of tuma. Or is this a different track that since the person ate something prohibited, they become tame? But it's not as a result of any transfer of tuma. So that's the issue Rab Chaim's going to weigh in on. So we'll see his piece, his explanation for the Rambam, and then we'll put it into context with what some of the other commentators are saying, as well as some interesting historical material about how this whole idea came about. The Rambam the nevela of a kosher bird creates tuma min Now the rabbis explained that when the Torah says that there's tuma for eating a nevela of a kosher bird, it's only speaking about someone who eats the nevela. So how does this tuma transfer? Not through touching or carrying. Carrying, which is how Tuma would transfer in other cases of Nevela, of an animal, but Nivlas of Tahar does not transfer through touching or carrying. The not even when this Nevela is in the person's mouth, because that's just a variation of touching or carrying. That's not actually eating. Only when it's in their throat. Because the Torah says that the soul becomes tame, so it's only when it's in the guts of the person, which is their throat. So if this tuma doesn't transfer until the person is swallowing it, not when they're chewing it in their mouth, so why does the Torah use the phrase tochal to eat, which happens in the mouth, not in the throat? So the Rambam explains that's only to say that the minimum measurement for this nivlas of tahor to create tuma is the minimum measurement of eating, which is a kazayas. So basically the Torah is telling us that until the person swallows the nivlas of tahor, they don't become tameh, but the measurement that they have to swallow is the same measurement as what would be considered eating, which is a kazayas in olive size. Now the source for this halacha is in the Gemara in Zvachim Daf Ayin, but there it adds in another detail which the Rambam omitted. The Gemara there says that according to Reb Meir, the Torah calls it an Avela to teach that there has to be a minimum measurement of what would be considered eating, which is a minimum of a Kazayis. So the Gemara asks, Why can't we learn that from the fact that the Torah called it Achila? So since the Torah required eating in this case, that has to be a minimum of a Kazayis. 
So the Gemara answers because there are two details in this halacha. Chad l'shir achila bekazayis v'chad l'shir achila bechdei achilas pras. One is telling you how much you have to eat quantity-wise. The minimum measurement of that is a kazayis. And one is telling you within how much of a time span you have to eat it. So you can't eat this kazayis measurement over three days. It has to be within some sort of time span, which is bechdei achilas pras in order to eat a pras, which is a couple of minutes. So according to the Gemara, for someone to become Tame from Niblas of Tahor, they have to eat a Kazayis within a few minutes. Now the Rambam mentioned the requirement of a minimum shear of a Kazayis, but he didn't mention anything about Bechdei Achilas Pras, that it has to be within the time span of eating a Pras. So Rab Chaim's question on the Rambam is why did he omit the time span within which the minimum measurement of a Kazayis has to be eaten in? So Rab Chaim answers with a very important conceptual distinction. The Rambam is clear that for Nivlas of Tahar to transfer Tumah, it has to be in a specific place, which is the base hablia, the throat that's swallowing. Only in that location can it impart Tumah. Now, this is different because generally when the Torah prohibits or it gives a law regarding eating, it doesn't matter where that's done. What the Torah is regulating is the action of eating, but it's irrelevant where the object that's eaten is. As Rab Chaim says, Generally, when the Torah comments on eating, There's no specific place where the eating has to be done. The whole halacha is based on the fact that there was an action of eating. So the fact that in this halacha, the Rambam emphasizes that it has to be in a specific location is already something unusual. In addition, Rab Chaim adds, there really isn't a place in the body which is considered to be eating according to halacha. Because eating according to halacha really refers to after it's swallowed and it's in the person. So they're considered to have eaten it. But while they're chewing and even swallowing it, that's not considered the place of eating according to halacha. And his proof for this is the Gemara in Ksubis Lamed Amid Beis, which says that while someone is swallowing truma, they're not violating the prohibition against a non-Kohen eating truma. So you see that the place of swallowing, the base hablia, is not considered the place in the human body which does the act of eating. There isn't really any place which does the act of eating. The mouth and the throat chew and swallow, and then the food goes into the person, and that's when they're considered to have eaten it. But before that, in the mouth and throat, they're not considered to have eaten it. So there is no place that's considered the place of eating. All we can say for halacha is that a person can do the act of eating. So by chewing and swallowing, they engage in the act of eating, but we can't locate a place in the human body where the eating occurs. So now, if the Rambam held that the Tumah of Niblas of Tahar comes through the act of eating, so it's a Tumah that's related to the process of eating because someone ate this Nivela, they become Tameh, so then he wouldn't be able to locate that Tumah in the base Hablia because eating doesn't happen in the throat. It's not something that can be traced to a specific part of the body. All we could say is that someone who engaged in the act of eating would become Tameh from Nivlas of Tahar. But the Rambam didn't say that. He did not say that through the act of eating, a person becomes Tameh. He associated it with a specific place, which is the Beis Habliya. 
So according to Rab Chaim, that means the Rambam holds that this Tumah does not come about through eating Rak Tumas Makom. It's associated with a specific place. Meaning the Torah said that if there's Nivlas Of Tahar in the base Habliya of a person, they become Tameh from having the Nivela in that part of their body. Having nothing to do with whether they were eating or not. It's not related to the act of eating. It's related to a place in their body that if the Nivlas of Tahar goes into the Beis Habliyah, so then they become Tameh because they have this Nivlas of Tahar in their throat, and that is the rule of the Torah. That's how it formulated this law of Nivlas of Tahar. So according to Rab Chaim, it's not a Tumas Masa. It does not come about through an action. It's a Tumas Makom. It comes about because the Nivela of an of Tahar was in a specific place, which is the Beis Habliyah of this person. And Rab Chaim adds that a careful reading of the Rambam shows that this conceptual idea is implicit in the language of the Rambam himself. Because after the Rambam says that the Tumah comes from being in the Beis Habliyah, he then asks, Why did the Torah label this Tumah with the phrase eating? So what's the Rambam's question? So Rab Chaim explains what the Rambam means to ask is why did the Torah label this an eating Tumah when it has nothing to do with the act of eating? It's a Tumas Makom. The Tumah transfers because the Nevela is in the Beis Habliyah, but it has no association with eating. So why did the Torah use the word eating in this context? So on that, the Rambam answers, the Torah is just giving us the minimum shear of how much of the Nevela is necessary in order to create Toma, and that's the measurement of a Kazayis, which is associated with the act of eating. So the Torah is not associating the Toma itself with the act of eating, it's just associating the minimum measurement of a Kazayis. But the Toma itself transfers regardless having nothing to do with the act of eating, simply because the Nevela was in the Beis Habliya. So now, based on this conceptual formulation, that the Toma comes from the Makom, from being in the Beis Habliya, not through the act of eating. So says Rab Chaim, there's going to be a very important practical outcome, which is there is no time span within which this needs to get done because it all needs to be done at the same time. Unless there's a kazayis in the Beis Habliya at the same moment, it can't be done in increments. You can't eat a little bit and then a little more and then a little more and add it all up to a kazayis within a few minutes because that would only work if it had to do with the process of eating. So eating in halacha means a certain measurement within a certain time span. It doesn't all have to be done in the same second. So to fulfill a mitzvah of eating or a prohibition of eating, it can be done in increments over a few minutes, so long as it doesn't go over the time span of Kedah pras. So the whole concept of a time span only has to do with the process of eating. But this is not a tumah that comes about through eating, as Rab Chaim explained. It comes about from being in the place of the Beis Habliyah, so it's not going to help to have a little bit, then a little more, then a little more. It all has to be done at the same time. So that's why the Rambam omits any mention of Kedah Pras, because there is no time span for this Tumah. Unless it's all in the Beis Habliyah together, there's no Tumah. And if a little bit comes in, and then a little more, and then a little more, even if it's within a very short time span of just a few moments, but there would not be Tumah, because that's considered eating the Nivlas of Tahor, but it's not considered being in the Beis Habliyah together, so it would not create Tumah. So 
but that's why the Rambam omits any mention of a time span in this halacha. So now this is a very nice conceptual understanding of the Rambam, but obviously the problem is that it contradicts the Gemara and Zvachim that we began with, because that Gemara explicitly said that there is a time span within which the Nivlas of Tahor does combine together. So if someone eats a little bit, then a little more, then a little more, so long as it's a Kazayis within the time of Kedachilas Pras, it all combines to transfer Tuma. So the Gemara says against the Rambam's approach that this is a Tuma that comes from the act of eating. That's why it can combine a few little pieces together. So why is the Rambam ruling against the Gemara that the Tuma doesn't come from the eating, it comes from being in the place, so therefore it's not going to combine a few pieces together. So Rab Chaim answers that the Rambam felt this was a debate between Rab Meir and the Gemara and Zvachim versus the Sifra. Because the Sifra, which the Rambam mentioned in his Halacha, derives this detail that Nivlas of Tahor only makes the person Tameh in the Beisabliya, in the throat, not in the mouth, from the word Nefesh in the Torah. The Torah describes it as a Tumah that comes about to the person's soul. So the Sifra understands that that refers not to the mouth, but to the throat. So the Rambam read this Sifra and he said, if the whole source of the Tumah is from the word Nefesh, not from the word Tochal, so it sounds like the Sifra's approach is that this is not a Tumah that comes about from eating, then it would be derived from the word Tochal, eating in the Torah, but since it's derived from a different word, Nefesh, so it means it's a different type of transfer of Tumah that comes about from being in the throat, from being in that place, but not through the act of eating. In addition, the Sifra derives from a Pasuk that when the Nivlas of Tahor leaves the person, they don't become Tameh through that way. So again, if the Tumah comes about through eating the Nivlas of Tahor, then it's obvious that when it leaves the person, it obviously does not transfer Tumah because leaving the person has nothing to do with eating. So again, this indicates that the view of the Sifra is that the Tumah does not come about through eating, it comes about through being in the person's throat. And that's why we would have thought that maybe on the way out, it also transfers Tumah. So the Sifra has to teach us that it does not. So based on these two details of the Sifra's presentation, the Rambam concluded that the Sifra disagrees with Reb Meir's approach in the Gemara and Zvachim. Reb Meir certainly understands that the Tumah comes about through the process of eating. So that's why if the person eats a Kazayis within the time span of Kedachilas Pras, it all combines and transfers Tumah. But the Rambam held that the Sifra disagrees with this and he holds that the Tumah does not come about through the eating. It comes about through being in the Beis Hablia and the Rambam rules like the Sifra. So that's why he holds that the Nivlas of Tahor can't combine together unless the whole Kazayis is in the Beis Hablia at the same time. So this explains the ruling of the Rambam even though it contradicts Reb Meir's view but the Rambam felt that the other Tanoim who disagree with Reb Meir and Zvachim follow the approach of the Sifra so he ruled in accordance with that view. And the Rambam's approach is reinforced from the Gemara Nidam and Bezim at Bez, where it quotes a debate between Abaya and Rava regarding the place in the person's throat where the Nivlas of Tahar transfers Tumah. So according to Abaya, that's considered Balua, as if the Tumah is swallowed up, so it doesn't transfer Tumah to anyone else. And according to Rava, it's considered 
Beis Hastarim, a hidden place, so even though someone who touches it doesn't become Tameh, but it does transfer Tumah through carrying. So Rava's approach of the place in the person's throat where the Niblas of Tahar transfers Tumah is that it's a hidden area, but that place is not where the eating happens. The eating doesn't happen until it goes down much further. So obviously, says Rab Chaim, according to Rava, the Tumah of Niblas of Tahar doesn't come through the process of eating. It must come through being in the base Habliya even before it's considered to have been eaten. So that again reinforces the Rambam's approach that there are Tanoim who disagree with Reb Meir. They follow the approach of the Sifra, that the Tumah of Niblas of Tahar does not come through eating. It comes through being in the base Habliya, and that's the approach that Rava follows. So that's how the Rambam also rules. So this is Rab Chaim's approach to explain the ruling of the Rambam. The key conceptual idea that he develops is that the Tumah of Niblas of Tahar, which has all these unusual features, that it doesn't transfer through touching or carrying, only through eating. So according to Rab Chaim, what that means is not that it's a totally different form of Tumah, that it comes through the process of eating. It really has nothing to do with eating. It's just a variation of the standard way that Tumah transfers through touching or carrying or one of the other ways that Toma transfers and the way the Torah formulated that transfer in this case is that if there's a kazayis of a niblas of tahor in the place of the person's base hablia, so that creates Toma. Now, Rab Chaim's stance on this is controversial, and there are many achronim who disagree with Rab Chaim, and the sources that they base it on are very similar to Rab Chaim. This whole issue of whether eating a kazayis in the time span of Kedachilas Pras is going to combine to create Tumah, as well as the debate between Abaya and Rava. So the Minchas Chinuch in Mitzvah Kuf Samach Aleph Os Tesvav is a big believer, unlike Rab Chaim, that the Tumah of Nivlas of Tahor does come about because it's eaten. He writes, The whole Tumah here is exactly the same as any halacha of eating. So that's why if a person eats a kazayis of nivlas of tahor in kedeachilas pras, it all combines and they become tameh. So basically the Minchas Chinuch is explicitly arguing on Reb Chaim's whole approach and he's saying very clearly that since the Tumah of nivlas of tahor comes about through eating it, so even if it's eaten and in Installments, so long as it's a kazayis in Kedachilas Pras, like any eating halacha, it's all going to combine and create Tumah. Now, the Minchas Chinuch himself raises Rab Chaim's question, which is why does the Rambam omit mentioning Kedachilas Pras in this halacha? So the Minchas Chinuch says very simply, because the Rambam's already ruled that Tumah that comes through eating has to be Kedachilas Pras. So we already know that principle. He doesn't need to repeat it in this halacha when he's already said that. Once we know that Nivlas of Tahar comes about through eating, so we ourselves can figure out to apply the time span of Kedachilas Pras. So that's the Minchas Chinuch's technical answer to Rab Chaim's question that the Rambam doesn't need to say that halacha here because we already know it, but it does apply here. And the Chazon Ish in his marginal comment on Chidush Rabbeinu Chaim Alevi takes the same approach and he has other critiques of Rab Chaim's approach to explain the Rambam. First of all, he points 
points out that Rab Chaim's whole analysis that there is no place in the human body which is considered to be eating something, so the Chazonish disagrees. He says the definition of eating something under halacha is that it can no longer naturally be brought back up. So when someone's chewing something, they can easily spit it out. Once it goes into the throat, so there's a point beyond which it can't naturally be brought up, and that's considered eating. So there is a place in the throat which is considered the place where the food can no longer come back up, and that's where it's eaten. So that's what the Rambam could be talking about. So Rab Chaim's question on the Minchas Chinuch and the Chazonish's approach that Nivlas of Tahor comes about through eating was how could the Rambam locate it in the Beis Hablia when that's not considered eating in Halacha until it gets down into the stomach area. So the Chazonish disagrees. He says the definition of eating in Halacha is once it can't come up. So there is a location within the throat which is considered the place of eating in Halacha. So once a Kazayis of Nivlas of Tahor goes down that place, it's considered that the person ate a Kazayis and then they become Tameh. So this is an interesting debate between Rab Chaim and the Chazonish. What's the definition of eating in Halacha? According to Rab Chaim, it's when it goes down all the way through the throat. And according to the Chazonish, it's when it can't come up naturally. In addition, the Chazonish has other arguments against Rab Chaim's approach. He points out that the Torah in Vayikra Chaf Beis Ches, when it discusses this form of Tumah, only uses the word Achila, not Nefesh. So Rab Chaim's whole approach was built on the idea that when the Torah describes this Tumah, it's called Nefesh, but that's only one place. In another place, it only uses the word Achila. So it sounds like this form of Tumah comes about through eating. In addition, the Chazonish points out that according to Rab Chaim's view, if someone chews up a Kazayis of Nivlas of Tahar, and then they swallow it piece by piece, which is the normal way of eating something, so they're not going to be Tameh. According to Rab Chaim, they're only Tameh if they swallow the whole thing at once. So there's a kazayis at the same time going down the throat. So obviously this seems unusual that the whole halacha would apply in an unusual form of eating, not in the normal way of eating where a person just swallows it slowly. So again, that indicates that the tumah does come about through the normal process of eating. Now, the Minchas Chinuch raises a few points according to his view that the Tumah comes about through eating it. First of all, the Rambam says that if the Nivlas of Tahar is so spoiled that even a dog wouldn't eat it, so then it no longer creates Tumah. Now, in Halacha, there are two levels. There's Nifsad Me'achilas Kelev, that a dog wouldn't eat it, and there's Nifsal Me'achilas Adam, that a person wouldn't eat it. And which of these is required is a big difference between the rules of Tumah versus the rules of eating. If it's a rule of Tumah, so in order for the object to no longer give off Tumah, it has to be so spoiled that a dog wouldn't touch it. But if it has to do with the rules of eating, so even if a person wouldn't eat it, even if a dog would eat it, it's still no longer considered food. So now the Minchas Chinuch asks, if the criteria for this Tumah is eating, why does the Rambam insist that it has to be even more spoiled that a dog wouldn't eat it, even if it's just spoiled enough that people wouldn't eat it, it should still be tahor because it doesn't meet the criteria of food. So someone who eats it is not considered eating in halacha. So it should not create tumah. So this halacha is a question on the Minchas Chinuch's view and it would obviously support 
support Rab Chaim's approach. Now, the Minchas Chinuch raises another question. The Gemara says that Nivlas Behema, so the Nivela of an animal, only transfers Tuma through Maga and Masa, but not through eating. So unlike Nivlas of Tahar, which does not transfer Tuma through touching or carrying, only eating, Nivlas Behema is the exact opposite. It only transfers Tuma through touching or carrying, but not through eating it. So if someone's friend places Nivlas Behema in their mouth and they don't touch or carry it, they do not become tame even though they're eating it. Now the question is, even though they didn't carry it, but the fact that it's in their mouth and going down their throat is a form of carrying. So why are they tahor? Why don't they become tame through carrying it when it's going down their throat? Now this depends on a debate between the Rambam and the Rash. The Rambam holds that the transfer of tuma from carrying is even if the person hasn't moved this object, as opposed to the Rash that holds that carrying only transfers tuma if the person moves it. So according to the Rash, we could say that in this case, the person doesn't become tame because they don't move the tuma. But according to the Rambam, there's a real problem. Even though Nivlas Behema doesn't transfer tuma through eating, but the fact that it's in the person's body means that they're carrying it. And even though they don't move the tuma, but just the fact that it's in their body being held up is a form of carrying it. So there should be tuma through that transfer. So the Menchas Chinuch answers very brilliantly. This case is talking about where the person swallows the Nivlas Behema in increments. So they eat a Kazayis in Kedeachilas Pras, but that doesn't matter because we're trying to transfer Tuma through carrying, so there it doesn't matter if it's within Kedeachilas Pras. There's no minimum time span. It all has to be together or it doesn't transfer Tuma. So the Minchas Chinuch puts together his whole approach in this answer. Even though he said that when it comes to Nivlas of Tahor, a Kazayis in the time span does all combine to create Tuma, but that's the special halacha of Nivlas of Tahor that Tuma comes through the process of eating. But when it comes to Nivlas Behema, if the person carries a full Kazais at the same time, so they swallow the full Kazais at the same moment, then they would be Tame, even though there's no Tuma through eating, because they carried. But if they swallow it in increments, so it's the same situation as the Nivlas of Tahor, that they ate a Kazais in the time span, but still that's not going to create Tuma when it comes to the Nivlas Behema. So that's exactly the distinction that the Gemara is making between Nivlas Behema and Nivlas of Tahor. And for anyone that's interested, the Minchas Chinuch and the Chazon Ish tie in a lot of these ideas to the debate between Rava and Abaya because Abaya himself brings in the distinction of Nivlas Behema into this discussion. Now, the Minchas Chinuch adds one more very unusual case based on his approach that the Tuma of Nivlas of Tahor comes to the process of eating and that is if someone eats a half a Kazayis of Nivlas of Tahor and then they spit it up and then they eat that exact same half a kazayis again, all within the time span of Kedeachilas Pras. So the Minchas Chinuch says they're still Tameh, even though they only ate a half a kazayis total, because they ate that same half kazayis two times. And that's the rule when it comes to eating halachas, that eating the same half a kazayis two times in the time span, both of them combine together to be considered eating a kazayis. So even though there was only a half a kazayis total, 
all, but since it was eaten twice, it's multiplied and it says if the person ate a kazayas. So the same thing here, if the person eats the same half a kazayas of Niblas of Tahor two times, they would still be Tameh. Now, obviously, Rab Chaim would completely disagree with this psak, but even those who agree with the Minchas Chinuch's overall perspective on this halacha, that it follows the criteria of eating, even they disagreed with this case. So the Minchas Chinuch apparently wrote his ideas about this issue to some of his contemporaries. He himself writes at the end of the passage, that his questions were already brought to the great Gedole Yisrael. So this is a reference to, he wrote this to Rabbi Yosef Shol Nathanson, who responded in the Chuvas Shol Umeshiv, Madura Dalit Chelik Aleph Simon Kuftzadi Hey, as well as to the Maram Ash, Reb Meir Eisenstadter, who was one of the great Talmidim of the Chasam Sofer, and he responded in his Chuvas Maore Eish Yoradea Simon Kuftesvav, and he disagreed with the Minchaschinoch on this point. He says that if someone swallows a half a kazayis of Nivlas of Tahor and then spits it up and re swallows that half a kazayis, they're not going to be Tameh. So that's the debate between the Minchaschinoch and the Maram Ash. Now, on the bottom of the new Minchas Chinuchs, they quote that there are many, many Achronim who discuss this issue, and many of them agree with the overall view of the Minchas Chinuch that the Tumah of Nivlas of Tahor is related to the process of eating. So the Chacham Tzvi in his Chuvas Simen Kuf Zayin, as well as Rabbi Yosef Engel in his Sefer Asman Daoraisa, towards the end of Klal Aleph. So he has a very important discussion of this, and he raises the issue whether the Tumah of Nivlas of Tahor that transfers in the throat is that related to the process of eating? So through eating this nevela, the person becomes Tameh. Or is it a variation on the transfer of Tumah of touching? So in this case, the Torah said that touching is not the regular form where the person touches it, but it's when it goes down their throat. That's a variation of touching and Tumah transfers. But again, it doesn't have to do with the eating. It's a Tumah halacha. So as is his way, Rabbi Yosef Engel quotes proofs from all over Shas to prove his approach, which is that this tumma comes from eating. It's not a tumma halacha. It's not a variation of a form of touching that it goes down the person's throat, but it's actually a full-fledged eating halacha. So that's the view of the Chacham Tzvi, the Minchas Chinuch, Rabbi Yosef Engel, and the Chazon Ish, as well as many other achronim. Now, the Chasam Sofer represents another line. He's not exactly the Minchas Chinuch, and he's not exactly Rab Chaim. In his Chuvis, Arachaim Simen Kuf Mem, someone wrote to him a distinction along the lines of the Minchas Chinuch, even though this is before the Minchas Chinuch. So the person suggests, as the Minchas Chinuch said, that the difference between Nivlas of Tahor and Nivlas Behema is that Nivlas of Tahor can be eaten in increments, so long as it's a kazayis in Kedachilas Pras, it creates Toma, as opposed to Nivlas Behema, where the whole kazayis has to be together in order to create Toma. Now, the problem is that this doesn't fit into Abaya's view in the Gemara, as the Minchas Chinuch himself is aware. So the some sofer because of that disagrees with that distinction and he says that nivlas of tahor also cannot be eaten in increments. The whole kazayis has to be together in the throat in order to create tuma. So if a person eats a little bit of the nevela and then a minute later, another little bit, and then a minute later, another little bit, even if they ate a kazayis within kedachilas pras, they're not going to become tameh, even though for a regular eating halacha, that would combine the whole thing together. But in this case, there's a difference. The whole kazayis has to meet together in the throat 
wrote in order to create Toma. So the Chassam Sofer proposes that there is a big distinction between Nivlas of Tahor and regular eating halachas that regularly the Kazayis could be combined in the stomach. Whereas for Nivlas of Tahor, the Kazayis has to combine in the throat. It's not enough to combine in the stomach. So this is another way of understanding this halacha. And on the bottom of the Menchas Chinuch, they quote Achronim who agree with this, including the Arsameach and the Rashash. So this is also a very accepted view. So the difference between the Chassam Sofer and the Menchas Chinuch is that according to the Menchas Chinuch, the rules of Nivlas of Tahor mimic exactly the rules of eating halacha. So eating a Kazayis Bechteachilas Pras, it combines in the stomach. According to the Chassam Sofer, there is a time span which could combine a Kazayis, so it doesn't all have to go down at once, but the whole Kazayis does need to be together in the Beis Hablia at some point. And Rab Chaim has a third view, which is that the whole Kazayis has to go down together. There's no way to combine it at all. So the whole concept of Kdeachilas Pras, the whole concept of a time span, doesn't apply to the halacha of Nivlas of Tahar. So those are the three major views. The Minchaschino holds that this is a regular eating halacha. The regular rules of Kazayis and Kdeachilas Pras apply. So long as that's fulfilled, it creates Toma. Chasam Sofer holds this is a form of an eating halacha. So there is a time span that combines the kazayas together, but that combination has to happen in the throat, not in the stomach. So in that way, it's different than a regular eating halacha. And according to Rab Chaim, this is not an eating halacha at all. It's a tumah halacha. So the whole concept of kedeachilas pras, the whole concept of having a time span that combines different parts of the tumah together is totally irrelevant. Now it's worth noting, this seems to be one of Rab Chaim's earlier ideas, and we'll go through the historical historical traditions about this in a moment, but in the Chuvis Toras Mordechai from Reb Mordechai Rabinowitz, Simon Lamed Gimel, so he quotes that he heard from one of his colleagues, another Rav, that Rab Chaim wondered when it comes to the halacha of Nivlas of Tahor, does the Kedeachilas Pras combine a Kazayis even if it goes down to his stomach in the middle? So he eats a little bit, swallows it, then he eats a little more, then swallows that, or does it need to combine in the Beisablia in the throat? So he points out that that's exactly the debate between the Minchas Chinuch and the Chasam Sofer. So it sounds like Rab Chaim's two sides, one is the Minchas Chinuch and one is the Chasam Sofer. Now in the new Chidusha Grach al on Baba Basra, published by Mechono Raisa, they have a very interesting historical discussion in the preface about this piece. And again, we'll come to all this in a moment. But as part of that, they go through many, many sources related to this whole halachic issue. And they point out that even if originally Rab Chaim was wondering in the formulation of the Torah's Mordechai, the views of the Minchas Chinuch versus the Chasam Sofer, but in Chidush Rabbeinu Chaim HaLevi, his formulation is even more extreme than the Chasam Sofer. So it's a third formulation of this halacha because in the piece as we have it, as it was finally published, he rejects the whole concept of Kedeachilas Pras with regards to this halacha. So it's not like the Chasam Sofer that there is a combination of a Kazais, it just has to happen in the Beis Habliyah, but a According to Rab Chaim's final formulation, there is no combination at all. The whole concept of a time span is totally irrelevant to this halacha. Now, they also make an important point that the way Rabbi Yosef Engel formulates this issue is does the Tumah come about through the process of Achila or it's a variation of Maga? So there are rules of Tumah and how it transfers. And in this case, the Torah is saying it doesn't transfer through touching, but if a 
a person eats it, so that's a form of transferring Tumah. It's like a variation of Tumas Maga. But this is actually different than the way Rab Chaim himself formulates it. So even though we've been saying that Rab Chaim has the other view of Rab Yosef Engel, but it's actually a different formulation of that view. Whereas Rab Yosef Engel calls it a form of Tumas Maga, Rab Chaim calls it Tumas Makom. That the Tumah is created because the Niblas of Tahor is in the base Hablia place. So that's an interesting language. It's a little different than the way Rabbi Yosef Engel formulates that approach, that it's a variation of Tumas Maga. According to Rab Chaim, it's like a totally new halacha that if Niblas of Tahor finds itself in this place, of the throat, so then it creates Toma. So it's a very interesting issue how to define this unusual halacha of Nivlas of Tahor that goes down the throat creates Toma, and there's multiple formulations how to explain this halacha. And again, there's extensive discussion in the Achronim about how to explain this. We've only touched on one small part of it in the new Minchas Chinochs on the bottom of Mitzvah Kuf Samach Aleph, as well as in the Machono Raisa edition of Chidusha Agrach Alashas on Baba Basra in the preface, they go through through a ton more of information regarding this whole issue. Now, there is a very interesting historical context to this whole piece as well. And this has to do with a mysterious figure named Reb Mendel Slutsker. He was a Rebbe in the city of Slutsk. And after the Beis HaLevi left the Valozhin Yeshiva, he had a fight with his relative, the Nitziv, and the Nitziv got the Yeshiva. So the Beis HaLevi ended up the rabbi in Slutsk, and he moved there with his young son, Chaim, who was about 10 years old at this time. So Rab Chaim studied under Rab Mendel Slutsker along with another kid, Yosef Rosen, who eventually became the Ruggitschaver. So Rab Mendel had some very important students come out of his cheder. Now, Rab Mendel was such a great Talmud Chacham that the Beis HaLevi refused to accept the rabbinate in Slutsk until he heard that Rab Mendel agreed for him to come be the rabbi. Rab Mendel was one of the last Talmidim of Rab Chaim Valozhner himself. So he was one of the last living people who had studied directly under Rab Chaim Valozhner in the Valozhin Yeshiva. So when Rab Chaim moved to Slutsk and went to his cheder, he ended up studying under a direct student of his great-great-grandfather, Rab Chaim Valozhner, who he was named after. Now eventually, Rab Mendel Slutsker and the Soloveitchik family ended up marrying into each other because Rab Mendel's great-great-grandson was Rab Moshe Feinstein. And the Feinsteins married the Soloveitchiks in two ways. First of all, Rab Chaim's son, Reb Moshe Soloveitchik, married the daughter of Reb Elia Feinstein Prezhiner. And Reb Moshe's nephew, Reb Michal Feinstein, married the daughter of the Brisker Rav. So there were two high-profile marriages between these high-profile families, the Feinsteins and the Soloveitchiks. Now, in some Brisker versions of history, Reb Mendel has an outsized role, almost as like the father figure of the whole method of learning of Brisk, almost as if Rab Chaim took his method from Reb Mendel. He learned it from him and then he applied it, or at least that Reb Mendel gave him the basic tools or he inspired him to go along this way. So Reb Mendel is seen almost like a shadowy father figure who originally came up with the Brisker method and then Rab Chaim obviously perfected it and took it to new heights. Now, how much of this should be taken literally on a historical level? I'm not sure because you find these sort of shadowy father figures for a lot of new systems. 
systems. So for example, in the Musser movement, Rabbi Saul Salanter supposedly got the system from Reb Zundel Salanter, who again was a student of Reb Chaim Valozhener. And again, in the Hasidish movement, supposedly the Baal Shem Tov got the kernel of the idea from Adam Baal Shem, who again was like a mysterious figure who had these ideas. So very often it seems when there's a new movement with new ideas, there's some sort of lore that comes up about some mysterious figure who can trace the lineage back even further. In the case of the Musser movement or the Brisker tradition, they can trace it back to Rab Chaim Balazhener and from there to the Vilna Gaon. So these types of legends are obviously going to have a lot of appeal and they're going to spread quickly and people are going to buy into them. So I'm not sure how much historical truth there is to a lot of this, but it does seem clear that there was a great Talmud Chacham named Rab Mendel who was teaching in the city of Slutsk who did not want to serve in the rabbinate even though he was one of the main students of Rab Chaim Balazhener. So he certainly could have been a Rav, but he preferred to just live a quiet private life and teach his students. And he had some sort of influence on Rab Chaim. Now in this piece particularly, there's a whole tradition about Reb Mendel's role in the piece because historically we know that Reb Mendel himself said something about this issue. In the Chuvis Amude Or, Simon Ayin, he quotes that Reb Mendel Slutsker, so this is one of only two printed Chuvas that we have with Reb Mendel's Torah. We really know very, very little about him. Even his ideas are not preserved in the Brisker tradition, only a little bit about him historically. But basically, he was a very humble, unassuming man. And despite his tremendous learning and tremendous knowledge, he didn't seek a lot of honor. He didn't seek publicity. So many of his ideas didn't survive. So we only have two tshuvas quoting his ideas. And the whole history of this, they go through in the beginning of the Mechon Oraisa Chidusha Agrach al Now, this is one of the tshuvas. And in it, he discusses this whole Gemara with Abaya and Rava. So based on that, there's a lot of traditions that Reb Mendel in some way inspired this piece, or he maybe even came up with the kernel of the idea that Rab Chaim's presenting in this piece. So in the Or Olam edition of Chidush Rabbeinu Chaim Alevi Al Rambam, in the back on this piece, they quote from the Shiurim of Reb Beryl Salavechik, his grandson, on Menachos Daf Ayin, that he quotes one version of this story, which is that when Rab Chaim was young, he heard Reb Mendel of Slutsk asking a question about this Gemara, which is the question that he asked the Amude Or, and then he got a response back from the Amude Or, and then he quotes what Reb Mendel responded to the Amude Or's answer. So there was a whole tumult going on about this issue in Rab Mendel's yeshiva and Rab Chaim was a young man. He heard the question. He was interested in it. So he started thinking about this issue and eventually he came to his ideas about this. So that's one version of it from Rab Beryl Soloveitchik that Rab Mendel's question on the Gemara inspired Rab Chaim's whole analysis and that's what got him thinking about this issue to begin with. Now there's another version that's quoted in the Mechon Oraisa Chidusha Agrach Alashas which comes from Rab Michal Feinstein's family. So again, they're not only descendants on the Soloveitchik side, but they also come from Reb Mendel Slutsker. So they have an even stronger formulation that the kernel of this idea that Reb Chaim has in this piece, he got from Reb Mendel. So either way, there's a whole lore about Reb Mendel's relationship to the ideas in this piece based on the fact that we know that Reb Mendel himself had some ideas about the halacha of Nivlas of Tahar. And in some way that seems to have inspired Reb Chaim's piece. But again, according to the Feinstein tradition, it's not limited to just this one idea that Rab Chaim got from Reb Mendel, but he got the whole brisker method of how to learn from Reb Mendel. So to whatever extent that's true, we're all indebted to Reb Mendel.